What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We got a great one today for you. Today, our guest is Powell Chi. Powell has built up a pretty substantial real estate portfolio as general partnered on over a thousand doors. And today we're talking about how he got started, his whole the nuts and bolts of his process of buying his first investment property and then buying his next kind of scale up investment property and how he did that, how he managed that both in terms of the mechanics of doing it and the mindset, the processes, the behaviors that he needed to exhibit to really scale up his real estate portfolio. We also talk about what it takes and what it took him to build his his real estate portfolio as a busy professional, the behaviors that he had to put into place just kind of tangentially related to actually building the, the portfolio, things that he had to change to actually make that happen, if that makes sense. And you'll understand when you listen to the, to the episode. These are very important lessons. If you wanna build up a real estate portfolio as a busy professional, you got to know some of this stuff. I'm just telling you. So thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Powell Chi. For those of you who don't know, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and share the return. Appreciate you tuning in today. Once again, this is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. And our guest is Powell Chi. Here we go. Powell, thank you for joining us today. Sure, absolutely. Happy to be here, Taylor. Happy to talk with you at 3 p.m. on a Saturday. You're obviously uh-huh. a hustler. Uh, for uh-huh. the listeners out there who don't know about you, can you tell us about your, your background and you know where you got started? Sure, sure, absolutely. So a little about me. Um, I started real estate investing back in 2015. Um, I live in Los Angeles myself, um, busy professional, just like your, you know, like your podcast. And... Uh, wanted to get into real estate investing for the, you know, the options of, Hey, this, I think, uh, real estate investing is really the way to go, um, uh, in terms of the power that real estate has behind it in terms of, um, all the different leverage, you know, asset appreciation, uh, depreciation, tax advantages, um, all kinds of things like that. So bought my first single family house in 2015 and, and really that was kind of the genesis of what started with it. So nice, nice. So, uh, you've since made the transition to multifamily and, you know, we'll talk about that, but I wanted to first get into that first acquisition. You know, you went with a, a single family and what was that like? Because a, a lot of people say that the, the first deal is the hardest and I tend to, mm-hmm. I tend to agree with that. Um, mm-hmm. So tell us about that and, and what that experience was like. Sure. So um, like I mentioned, I live in Los Angeles um, and at the time, I wanted to get into real estate investing probably for a number of years, right? Uh, I saw my dad had success with it, and he lived, we lived in the Bay Area. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. But around LA, around the Bay Area, I really thought, how, how am I going to invest in a, in a house here? You know, I'm going to buy a house. These are like $600,000 houses minimum. I mean, we're talking like minimum. You know, most of them were higher at that point. And so I was like, I don't see how I'm going to buy a $600,000 house and you know, I'm going to have to work a long time before I can put down a down payment. I'm probably going to have to borrow from all kinds of people to get this down payment. And then I just don't know how this is going to actually work. Um, so I, I really just put it off. And, and then after learning, listening to a lot of podcasts, books and things like that, wanted to get into it. I just got on the, um, you know, came across the idea that you can invest out of state that you don't have to invest near me. Right. And I thought, wow, that was really eye opening. And I was like, 
you know what? I can, I can invest anywhere. So the first house that I bought was a house in, in um, Kansas city. And that was a, you know, house that I've purchased and, you know, I hadn't visited the property or anything like that and um, ended up, you know, they're doing really well. I, I was really happy with it. It just wasn't really of a repeatable process for me. Um, but I, was really open to the idea now that, hey, I can invest and buy something out of state. I don't have to buy something that's in here in California. I can buy something, you know, across the United States now. And so now the whole United States became open to me. And I started thinking about, wow, I could, I can invest in all these other markets or any of the markets, whatever I choose. And um, that was, uh, that was, you know, kind of like made a big turn in my life in terms of, wow, uh, what, what is, what is available and what could be done? I think that's that's great doing that first deal from a distance and what kind of, you know, there's, there's a big step there. Uh, what gave you the courage or, or I don't know, the, the I guess courage is, is the best word that comes to mind to, to really extend yourself by that first property, especially uh, sight unseen, like you said. I mean, it's, um, yeah. you're, you're now in the space where you're syndicating buying uh, properties with, with investor capital. But mm -hmm. when you're spending your own money and especially you've never seen the property before and you, you know, mm -hmm. at least for most new investors, we don't know up from down. So, yeah. you know, what, what brought you that courage and to, to do that first deal? Sure. So I, I did a, I did a ton of research, right. And I try to figure out like where to do, you know, how to do this, how, how people are buying out of state, listen to a ton of podcasts and, and things like that really got inspired about that. And then, um, you know, I thought really, I, I wanted to go where, um, uh, you know, you feel like you're comfortable. You feel like, uh, I, I've been to Kansas city before I had traveled through there. I had friends there. So I felt like, okay, it's a good city that I like. And, um, and so I just kind of researched as much as I could. And then, you know, there's, I tell people you, you get about 90% of the, of the knowledge, but you got to make a leap sometime, right? It's like, it's like riding a bike, right? Your first time riding a bike, it's like you can learn about riding a bike, you can read about riding a bike, you can watch people riding a bike, but until you jump on that bike, you're not gonna know how to ride a bike. And are you gonna fall? Are you gonna mess up? Yeah, of course, but eventually you're gonna learn to ride the bike, right? And so that was kind of it. It's like, I got as far as I could, I thought in terms of just knowledge and picking up from books and podcasts and you know YouTube videos. And then I thought, I can do this. and you know, it's not going to be the end of my life if, if it doesn't work out. It's a, it was a $100,000 house, right? So, you you know, you're putting down at most like 20, 25% or something like that, right? I did it in a weird way that kind of just, it, it wasn't very conventional. So it wasn't, that's why I couldn't really repeat it. Um, but it, you know, kind of, it really worked out. It really worked out anyways. But, um, but yeah, I mean, once I did that, it kind of gave me the confidence that I could do this again. So, but I, I really quickly kind of, figured out that, hey, I can't really repeat the process that I did it. Um, and it was because I, I basically bought it all. I basically maxed out a bunch of credit cards, took a mm. bunch of cash off the credit cards, paid in cash off the property, refinanced the property, and then paid the credit cards back. And I didn't have very much of that $100,000 house. I only paid about $8,000 for the house instead of paying like $20,000, $25,000 for, for the house. And I realized as I did that, I was like, that's not repeatable. I don't want to, you know, do that with my credit and buy all these credit cards and everything like that. I was like, that's just not what I want to do anymore. So I really quickly started thinking, how could I scale this? Because I'm not going to be able to buy these houses like, like that. And I kind of feel like 
I, I did as much research as I could to make sure the house was good, but I kind of got lucky. And then, and you know, I don't know how often that's going to keep happening. So, um, I started thinking, Hey, I gotta, I gotta scale. I gotta grow faster and like bigger. And so that's what kind of led me to thinking about all the things that I'd heard really about multifamily and about buying an apartment, going a little bit bigger and the economies of scale and, and, uh, the advantages that multifamily has, um, you know, that may be a little different than single family. Right? Yeah. I mean, there, there are many advantages that, you know, we'll, we're, we'll definitely, uh, we'll get to here. Um, and you said, you know, you paid cash for the house, things like that. Like, why didn't you go out and get, you know, conventional financing? Did the house not qualify or, you know, what were the issues there? Um, no, the house I think would have qualified for it, but I just would have had to put $25,000 down. Right. And I knew that like, well, I don't, I don't know if I knew, but I was pretty sure that it was going to appraise for more than it, than I purchased it for. So I, there was some, because it'll appraise higher, they're going to give me more in terms of the loan amount when I refinance. So it was able to, I think, take it. Like I wasn't going to have to put in the full amount for a down payment, right? I wasn't going to have to put in twenty to $25,000 for the down payment. I knew, I was pretty sure that I was going to be able to do less. So that's why, that's why I paid it all in cash. And then I, um, and then just refinanced it right away. So, gotcha. Okay, that's mm -hmm. that's smart. And then making this transition from single family uh, to multifamily. I mean, a lot of people. A common thing you hear from from folks is, yeah, I realized that I'd have to get so many of these single families to really produce any appreciable cash flow or income over time that I realized mm -hmm. I needed to add more and more units and and all those things. It sounds like that you had a very similar thought process, but you know, where did you, what, what is the next step really? Because it's, it's great to have that, um, that goal in your mind that, Hey, I want to get into these multifamilies, but mm -hmm. you know, as far as the mechanics of doing that, like, mm -hmm. what did you do? What did that mean to you? Sure. So, you know, it all becomes, it all comes down to education again. Right. So now I'm looking at a different asset class in multifamily. So I have to get educated on multifamily. So it was going through a lot of the, as many of the free resources out there that were available, right? So learning for podcasts, learning from um, online, different forums and, and things like that, books as much as I could. And then I got to a point where I was like, okay, I probably need to uh, invest in sort of a paid course. And so I invested in some of the paid courses um, out there and they gave me some good uh, tools to use really is what I needed. It's a tool to use to analyze these deals because they're analyzing a multifamily is different than analyzing a single family, especially when you start to raise capital and you have different partners involved and things like that, where on a single family house, you may not have a partner. You may just be you doing it sort of a different, different models and things like that. So having uh, those tools and those resources and, and things like that, that have really helped me to, uh, to, you know, understand, how to evaluate a multifamily property, right? And then from there, it's evaluating as many multifamily deals as you can. So talking to as many brokers as I could and calling brokers and, and getting listings and putting them through the analyzer and going through the whole process and getting a lot of, a lot of practice of just analyzing deals, analyzing deals, analyzing deals as much as you can. And at that time I was, I had chose three markets and I thought anywhere between these three markets, I feel pretty comfortable in all three and I, I would be willing to invest in, in any of these three. So I, I tried to see as many deals that I knew as possible that were, 
uh, that I felt like I could purchase. And um, so I wasn't looking at 200 unit deals. I wasn't looking at 100 unit deals. I wasn't looking for things like that. I was looking for something that was in the range of like 500 to $800,000 in terms of the total purchase, right? That's kind of what, what my range was. And, um, and then that's, you know, knowing that those were the kind of the deals that I around that I was analyzing. And then eventually one, after you get, after you analyze so many deals, you know, you, you start to see uh, some of the numbers start to talk to you a little bit and you start to see like deals and things and think, wow, Hey, this one really looks different. I haven't seen anything that's like this deal. And then that one came about, right. You, you happen to see that one. And, um, you know, when you get really excited about it and you get, you just kind of got to jump on that deal. Like, you know, you got to find out really quickly if it's still on market or if these numbers are real, can you get more information? You know, all that, all that, that you want to talk to the brokers about. So, you know, what about that first deal really set it apart? I mean, you, I don't know how many you looked at before you came across that one, but it sounds like it was quite a few, you know, yeah. what, what really made it seem different from that? You know, just, you know, without getting into the, to the numbers just yet, all the, all the pure numbers like the T12 or anything like that um, yet, you know, I was just looking at like age, you know, and in terms of the age, this property was a lot newer than the ones that I had seen that were, that were around this price point. Everything that I was looking at was much older. And so this one was, you know, it was like 1984 and everything I'd looked at before was like old, the newest was like 1950. These are like, other ones were like 1940, 1930, things like that. And I was like, oh, 1980, that's pretty unusual. And then you look at like, just, just really quickly, you look at the price per unit and you're starting to think, wow, the price per unit, I mean, wow, this is pretty good, right? I mean, when, when I was looking at it, it was around like $20,000 per unit. And I was like, $20,000 a unit? Everything I'm looking at before is like, you know, for $20,000 a unit, you're, you're looking at a 1920s building with a heavy, heavy relift and, you know, all kinds of stuff. I was like, wow, okay, well, so you just start to see some numbers that start to speak to you a little bit like, okay, this is around my price range. This is a lot newer. This is, looks like the price per unit is, is, is you know, looks to be very attractive. Um, and you start to think about, okay, well, now I got to, I got to call this broker. Like, I got to find out if this is real, right? Is this real? Is this, is this an old listing? Is this actually current? Do they have any more numbers? You know, what's the story behind the project, the, you know, the property? And so, you know, as soon as I kind of looked at those kind of things, just like really quickly, immediately start to make phone calls, right? You know, you just do a phone call right away and try to find out what, um, you know, what's, what's the deal with it. So let's walk through, uh, presumably you closed on that deal. Let's, mm -hmm. uh, let's walk through that and, you know, that, sure. that whole process because, you know, you, Need to get the financing and if it's obviously it was not where you live so you had to figure out the the property management situation how you could run mm -hmm. the property all of that um, had yeah. you identified all of those you know service people beforehand the property manager and everything or was that something that you kind of figured out on the back yeah. end yeah i figured it out kind of as we as i went right because so um because you don't want to get too bogged down with trying to put together your full team and then all of a sudden you find a property in a different market, right? Or it's a, even in the same city, but it's not really the market that that property manager or that, uh, you know, anybody that, that, that they really work on. Maybe you're on the south side and that they're on the north side and all their properties are on the north side. So it doesn't really work. So you're trying to think, well, I don't want to build all that team. And then all of a sudden I have to find out 
this property that I like is not really a good fit for that team, right? You know, so, um, or it doesn't, you know, it doesn't fit them at all. You bought it at a different market, things like so. Spend the most time on the things that are going to really make the most difference, which is really finding the deal, right? After you find the deal, which is like after I found the deal, then I can really figure out the financing. Okay, figure out what I need to, um, who I could uh, get recommendations for property managers for, right? Who I could interview with property managers, and uh, what other, um, you know, when it comes to doing the inspection and doing the phase one, this one I had to do a phase two, you know, all kinds of different things like that that you have to do. It's like, you can find that out quickly once you sort of know where the property is and, uh, and put all those pieces together after you've uh, either got the property under LOI or maybe under contract or things like that, or really close to it. You can start to get into those type of things. So you said it was a 20,000 a unit and it was in the, Five hundred thousand, eight hundred thousand dollar range. How many units was it? How big was the property? What yeah, class? so it was uh, forty units. Um, so it was just a little over uh, twenty thousand dollars a door. So when I at, at purchase price, when I was negotiating, it was a little higher than that. But it was, you know, um, I was able to knock some some off the purchase price. And so you know, the end of, end of the purchase price ended up being like hundred. Um, Eight hundred twenty, eight hundred twenty thousand dollars. Wow, for forty doors. I mean, that is a yeah. a steal. <laughs> That's really cheap. Nineteen eighty four build, right? Wow. And you know, it's, it's, so it's kind of like you start to think, see those kind of things. Like I, I jumped on that right away, you know. And I was lucky, you know, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I, I say I was lucky, but when I tell people that they were lucky, I don't. I don't really tell people they're lucky because I was like, if you're actually doing this and you're actually making the effort and the action to do these things and get out there, things like this come your way, right? If, if, if you don't do the action, then it just looks like luck. Oh, it was just lucky, you know, like, but if you're actually doing the action and you're doing that, and you're thinking, things come your way. It's just like somebody might tell you something and then you wouldn't have you come across that deal if that guy didn't tell you that, but if you weren't doing it, you know, it, it wouldn't have happened. So you, you need to be doing these kind of things. And if you're doing a lot of them, and you're really taking that action, these kind of things come your way. And um, so this kind of came my way, um, made the call to the broker and she said I was probably the second person that called her. And, you know, I was like, I'm really interested in this and that. Uh, I, I wanna see some paperwork on it, you know, like what type of financials do you have? Um, part, of the, part of the reason that it was being sold so low is because there was no financials on it. So there was like, it was like, yeah, they, it, was, it was going through, uh, pre almost almost foreclosure going to pre foreclosure and it was like there was lawsuits going back and forth and stuff like that so so they were wow. like, like no documents and so i had to deal with like no documents right so a lot of a lot of other buyers would be like no documents all right like i'm out of here like you know i can't i'm out of here so um one thing that ended up extremely in my favor is that the lender the lender for the current the current owner or the owner, previous owner, their lender was the same as my lender. So mm. they already knew what was going on and they knew kind of me going into it. And they were like, look, it'll be probably easier for us to like get him out, you know, and then we could just replace it with you. You know, we, we can use some of the uh, previous history that we've had on the property and just kind of use that as a, as a basis for what we would lend to you and things like that. So it really worked out really well for them in that case. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was a, that was a huge, that was beneficial. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. I mean, to go back to what you said before, I mean, people like to, to 
kind of put others down and say, hey, you were just lucky. But, you know, the, the world is littered with, quote, overnight successes that took 15 years of hard work to become overnight sure. successes and, you know, repeated failures, all, all those kinds of things. So, you know, absolutely, I, there is a there's always a factor of being in the right place at the right time. But we also have to kind of figure that you were in a lot of the wrong places at the wrong time or the right places at the mm -hmm. wrong time to get to the right place at the right time. So, you know, you made it happen. So. Yeah. And you have to be ready to take that action. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's times, I mean, I could tell you another story where I was really lucky. It didn't really turn a really lucky opportunity. Again, a lucky opportunity if that's what's considered luck, sure. but it's one of those things that like, if I wasn't there and that happened to be in that moment and then I wasn't able to take action on it, it would have just flew right by me. Right. It would have just been in one ear or out the other, never heard about <laughs> nothing, nothing, right? No, nothing, nothing of consequence. But yeah, I was at, you know, you're at constantly doing things. You're constantly active. You're constantly talking to people and trying to make things happen. And sometimes these little things just kind of just like, you know, blow into your ear. And then if you can just grab onto it and take some action to it, you can really, uh, you know, take advantage of your opportunities there. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about uh, executing on that deal and, and executing the business plan. Tell us how you got your financing in place, happen to know the right person. Uh, so that's, that's fantastic. Um, as far as executing on that, did you, how did you work with the property manager? Did you have any issues with them? Do you still own the property? Like tell us that whole yeah. process. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, when you don't have any paperwork, right, you don't have any T12, right? I had like maybe a month or two because, um, like I said, there was some litigation going on with their previous management and things like that. So there was no paperwork that the owner had for me, except for what he was doing in the last couple months, which, um, so I had to that. Uh, I had to handle it really through his tax returns. You know, I had to base off a lot of off his tax returns, which is what the bank was going to have to do based off, you know, what is, what is his tax returns say? What is his income and his expenses on the, on the property? And what's he claiming, right? So I had to use uh, that. Um, having the bank uh, being the same bank that I, that I use was uh, obviously, like I said, beneficial in that way that they, they already had the mortgage. They already knew about it. They already knew about the property and everything. Um, they wanted to, you know, they knew he was, wasn't doing well recently. So they would like him to, to leave and like somebody else to take over this, right? They didn't want it to just go into foreclosure. That's not what they wanted. Um, and it wasn't like the, the property actually was running he owned it for, I think, 10 years. So he, he was doing fine with it for 10 years. And then it wasn't until the very end where this sort of thing with the property management happened, the situation that, that forced him to have to get to the point where he had to sell it. Um, and so, yeah, lined up the financing. I would tell you, I went through phase one, you know, just like you're going to have to do, like if you're buying a, a, a multifamily property, which is the environmental reports, right? So all the, basically the, all the paperwork that on the history of the, the whole plot of land that you're, that you're buying. Um, and in that phase one, um, they found some things that they're like, look, you probably need a phase two, which, which is actually testing, you know, going and testing groundwater, testing radon and testing for things like that. And normally that's, you know, like a big sort of red flags about, okay, if it doesn't pass these tests or, you know, if you got things that are environmentally um, not the best um, on your, on your property, you just may not, you may just want to pass. Um, but uh, we went through it and um, went through the phase two and came back clean. Everything came back clean as it, you know, they tested the groundwater, they tested for radon um, and things like that. And it's, yeah, this is fine. Everything looks good. So that was, those are big reliefs, right? Um, 
And a lot of this I had to work with that owner, which was, which was good because they knew kind of the situation. Like they're like, look, he's taking it over. He's not going to buy it if it doesn't pass the phase one and a phase two. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there was a lot of extensions or a lot of, you know, constantly extending, constantly extending, but I was diligently working towards getting the property closed. And so they, they were fine with that, but you do want to have that communication back and forth that, um, you know, you don't want to go dark to, uh, the seller or to the, you know, so that you want to have the communication of what you're doing so that they understand, okay, that person is working hard. So if I do need to extend them, I understand that they're not just kind of yanking my chain here and just trying to drag me along. They're actually putting in more money. They're, they're doing work. It's just that they can't force the bank to, to make a yes or no on this. They can't force the bank to make their appro uh, appraisal um, come back tomorrow and then make a decision on it. You know, they, those are things that are just out of your hand. Um, so then, yeah, I eventually I closed on the property, um, went through and, and closed on the property, uh, hired a property manager that was from referral. So I had three, three referrals kind of interviewed three different people on that, on that. And then I uh, chose one of them. Um, we're going through that right now. And, uh, I still have that. I still have that property. Right. I still, um, I would tell you that like right now, kind of like, we'll see what's happening with the property manager. That's there's still a little, mm, we'll, we'll see, but, uh, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a kind of a whole nother story. We'll do a, we'll do a recap in about six months and then I'll be able to tell you that story a little bit Sounds more. Good. But, um, but yeah, property manager is a, is a, a huge important thing in this, right? You got to make sure you understand who the property manager is. You got to be aligned with them. You got to be on the same page. You got to be on the same philosophy and the same communication style. That's probably a big thing that breaks down a lot of times is your communication with your property manager. So that's, um, something that, you know, you need to make sure that you're in an alignment with them. Um, and, and, and as far as, you know, what you're expecting, you know, what it is that you're expecting from the property manager and what are they going to give you? Right. And then in what time frame? you know, those are kind of things that you want to make sure that you understand and they understand so that if you do have to take over or if you do have to get a new property manager, you, you want to make sure that you're asking them those same questions. Um, well, we'll have to have you back on the show um, to talk maybe more specifics about the situation, you know, like you sure. said, in uh, yeah. six months or so. Uh, yeah. once it's a bit, it's a bit more yeah, resolved. Um, so you're still on the property. I'd, I'd like to, you know, fast forward your acquisitions to today. I mean, where do you stand? Obviously, you, you haven't, you're still doing yeah. this. So what mm -hmm. else have you bought? Where do you stand now? Yeah. So, you know, right after that, so it took me about a year to, um, so that was a property I did by myself, right? It's just me, right? Just, I wanted to do it by myself. I didn't want to do it with anybody else. I didn't want to raise capital. I didn't want to, you know, entering a new asset class. I didn't want to ask any of my family friends for money or anything like that for, for this property. The next one, um, I, I, I did, I was like, Hey, like I'm pretty comfortable with this. I've done it now. Like I can do it. So I raised some capital, uh, from a small group of investors, maybe just like five of us. And we went and bought, bought another property. It was a 61 unit property in Indianapolis. And then that, so that took me a year to do that, a year to do that one. And then from there, um, I started getting more involved in looking at syndications and starting to think of like, if I want to go bigger, cause like I can see that I can see some issues with where I'm at with, um, the 40 unit, 60 unit. I can see some issues of of the management and, and things like that that are difficult at this stage but i would like to go at a higher stage and work with more people that are experienced as well right so mm -hmm. and in 2019 i got involved in um in five different syndications so i was in i'm a general partner on five different syndications 
and where we were buying, you know, 100 unit properties, 200 unit properties. Um, you know, we have a number of different investors. So we have, you know, it could be like 70, 80 investors, right? We're, the, the scale of everything is just getting a lot larger. And I'm working with a number of different partners where they have a lot more experience in certain things. They have a lot more operational experience or they have this much experience. And you have a, a much more of a team aspect of this. Whereas I was a little bit more of kind of a lone, a lone wolf for a while. And I start to realize that there's much more power in the, in the team. And especially as you get on the, on the larger properties, that the team aspect of it becomes really important and just a lot more fun, to be honest. I mean, you just, you want to just hang out with people. You want to go visit the property with people. You want to, you know, take a look at evaluating deals with prop with people. So, um, so yeah, I was able to get involved in, um, a deal in, uh, in Dallas. Um, I was also a general partner in a deal in Atlanta in Jacksonville, in uh, San Antonio, and, and in Phoenix. So all that happened in 2019. So 2000, and here we are in 2020, it's a little little different right now, but um, but that's what all kind of the, the sort of story of what happened with me through, um, through the real estate investing. And so nowadays, primarily looking at either syndicating things or uh, JVing with partners on like a, maybe a smaller deal. So maybe when I say smaller, it's like 100 to 150 units, maybe with um, maybe five, six, seven partners, things like that, and doing a JV instead of doing a syndication. So that's something that I'm very intrigued about doing right now. And um, otherwise, I will still be involved in syndicating deals and things like that. So yeah. Nice. So. Um you know, my information indicates that you're, you're still working the W2 and, you know, while, while we have you, I wanted to ask about balancing these things. You know, how do you do that with your schedule? Like I said, at the beginning of the interview, it's Saturday afternoon here. So that obviously has something to do with it, but you know, how do you yeah. handle that? Cause the stuff will keep you busy. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you need to develop some type of routine with yourself, right? Um, so for me, I happen to be a night person, but I really transitioned to being a morning person. Um, and th that was a sort of a struggle, but you know, nowadays, nowadays I wake up early, you know, I have my morning routine that takes me anywhere for about half an hour to 45 minutes now. And then for a couple hours, I'm, I'm really diligently working on the business side of things. Right. And so trying to, you know, anything that has to be involved with real estate, anything that I need to get done. Cause a lot of, a lot of the, properties now are on different time zones than than LA so calling them in the morning is you know it's already you know midday sort of for them right so you want to you know do do as many tasks as I can early that involve anything with uh, other time zones and getting all that stuff done go to work my job happens to be in sales um, which you know, I'm out in the field a lot which is good for me because it gives me a lot of flexibility so when I'm driving around um, I can make calls I can, you know, take a call. I can, I can do a lot of things. I can kind of work through lunch. I, you know, I, I can do a lot of these things that it gives me a lot of flexibility. So I do have that, that sort of uh, advantage for me is that I do have a lot of flexibility with my job. And then, and then, um, you know, when I come home and it's just kind of like pound out a few more hours of what else that I need to do that day to, uh, it might be admin work, it might be things like that, but try to make sure that I'm consistently working on the business all the time. So I'm trying to put in a few hours in the morning, a few hours in the afternoon, here and there, phone calls during the daytime as well, um, or emails and things like that that I need to make. And all the while just trying to, you know, um, 
you know, just kind of work around, you know, the W2, the W2 has its, you know, it's, it's there. It's, you know, you got to do that job. You got to do, do it well. But um, in the meantime, there's, you can sprinkle in things, uh, emails, phone calls and things like that. For me, I can't, um, not everybody can, you know, you might have a different type of job where you can't do that really, but you probably have some type of advantages, right? So, so, you know, if you're, maybe you're a police officer and you can't really make calls or something while you're, uh, you know, emails like that to, while you're on shift, you might have, you know, maybe a three or four days where you're actually off or something like that. Your schedule might be a little different, you know what I mean? So you, you can just try to take advantage of whatever schedule that you have. If you're in front of a computer all the time, you know, you're, you're able to send emails back and forth a lot faster or text a lot faster than say me, I'm on the road. I can't really do that all the time. So you just need to take advantage of what, whatever uh, sort of environment that you are, that you have and, um, and make it work for you. Right? Everybody has something. Absolutely. I think that's, you know, making that that progress on a day-to-day basis is it's a, a reoccurring theme that that comes up with the busy professionals who have built their real estate portfolios or you know side hustle type of business. It's that mm-hmm. commitment to taking daily action. I I admire that you change yourself from being a, a night person to a morning person. That's uh, it's not an easy habit to break, but it's no, it's not. <laughs> A good one though so you know yeah no it's good it's good now uh, yeah i enjoy it now but yeah it's difficult before absolutely and, and the other thing too is like um it becomes important but uh, you know once once you start to develop a team right because at this point i'm not the lone wolf anymore right and i, I do have a team and i have t- several different projects that i'm working on and they all have maybe different team members right so when you have different team members you can rely on a lot of different team members who have special skills in in something else that you do is so maybe uh, they have operational skills or they have computer skills or they have marketing skills or whatever it is. And you can let them focus on, on those type of skills and, and, uh, and, you know, just sort of remove yourself from, from doing every single thing that you had to do when you were sort of doing the solo thing by yourself. Yeah. I, you know, building the systems, getting people in place. I think, you know, especially for busy professionals who are not, used to managing people. I mean, especially if you're, you know, an outside salesperson where your job is to go sell, not to manage employees for the most part. That's, Mm -hmm. it's a tough skill to learn, but it's a very important one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and it's, and it's rewarding too. You know, you can, it's good to see other people and and get excited about, you know, what they can do and how, how good they are at their skills as well too. So I like seeing that. Good. Glad it's fulfilling. Right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Powell, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? I am ready. Yep. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made? You know, um, I, I mean, I love the multifamily ones and everything, but really the first one to get started with that, that the single family house that I, that I did, just getting started was, was, was a great deal. You know, um, a lot of the big syndications that I do now too, I, I really enjoy them, but they're, they're pretty new. I would say 2019. So I, I haven't had a lot of history with them yet to, to really see, but they're all doing really well. I'm really excited about them. They're really good projects and I'm excited about doing them. But that first one, you know, when you're kind of doing it by yourself and you're, you're really scared about, Hey, I don't know if real estate is right or if this is all just scam, you know, snake oil people are selling me and things <laughs> like that. And, you know, um, am I really going to be able to invest out of state? You know, I heard people can do it, but it, you know, I don't know of many people doing it, those kind of things. And when you take that leap and it, and it works out and yeah, you have some bumps here and there, but then it starts to, you know, it starts to pay rent and, you know, things like that. And, you know, like, 
it's, it starts to feel pretty good and you start to think, wow, that's really nice. And that, that property did really well. And I was, I was really happy. I ended up just selling it just a few months ago, but um, it was a, it was a good property. I really, I really liked it. And in terms of the numbers, it was, the numbers were really good on it. You know, if you only spend $8,000 on the house, right. And you're making cash flow like, you know, anywhere from two to $300 a month, right. You see the return, like two to $300 a month on an $8,000 purchase. That's huge. Yeah. Plus it appreciated pretty good, pretty well too. So that's great. That's great. On the other side of that, I love hearing about the best investment. I almost prefer to hear about the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah, man, it's, this is, um, so after that single family house, I bought another single family house. Okay. And it was about the same time that I bought the, the 40 unit, I bought them kind of at the same time. I bought this one in Memphis, single family house. And it, it just, it's, it's been a terrible thing this whole time. Like, mm-hmm. so it's, uh, it's just been rough. Like I bought it, probably overpaid for it. Probably, you know, the people that sold it to me were probably like, Hey, sold a California investor way more money than it, than it should have, than it should have sold for. Then it had a lot of work. They ended up kind of just like doing half of the work and then trying to dissolving their company because it just went bad. And I had to find my own, you know, find my own property manager to kind of come in there and clean it all out and try to fix it again. And they did for a while and it was okay. And we got a renter in there. And then eventually we decided to evict the renter, to evict the renter. And then now it has to go through a lot of changes because I have to upgrade a lot of different things in it. Um, so I put more money into it. And this whole time I'm trying to think like, can I sell it? Can I sell it for just like a break even point or just kind of maybe make $5,000 and, and sell this thing? And it's, and it's like, no, can't really, not yet. I'm like, oh man, this is not good. So still have it, you know, still working on getting it. It's fixed up. It was about to get fixed up. It was about to be ready. And then, uh, I don't know, rains came and then it's like, there's like mold in there. We have, have a insurance claim on it and then i'll get so we have wait on wait on the construction side of it so it's still not rented i don't know it's probably i've owned it for i don't know how long i've owned it for now um three three or four years yeah three years or something like that i mean it's probably been rented six now probably been rented a year of those three years oh man yeah so and plus i put more money into it you know so it's it's one of those ones that like yeah it's it's not it's not it's a disaster but it's um, hopefully one of these days I'll be able to like sell it, get rid of it, and move on from it. One of those ones you can't wait to get out of. Sounds yeah. painful. Yeah. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? Mm-hmm. So I think the most important lesson that I've learned and, and really to talk on is, is really the power of the partnerships. Really when you start networking with people and you start seeing what, um, what you can do together, it's, it can propel you so much faster than doing this by yourself. Like if I, you know, if I stuck there and did this by myself, I would only have this four unit and I would have nothing else if I didn't have any partners, but I was able to bring in some partners, small group of partners to buy my next one. Right. And then I was able to network and find other people that were involved in real estate and, and really sort of put myself in the position to be a general partner on these syndications. That was that was another group of that I joined and like that's there's a lot of power in that right and the the power of the partnerships and the networking there it just 
can really propel you a lot faster and a lot farther than, than you even thought. I mean, if I was to look back in 2018 and say, in 2019, I think I'm going to be in one syndication, I would have been very happy. But then to be in two, three, four, five, it's like, wow, how, you know, that's, that's like, that would have just like blew my mind about that. But I really wasn't able to happen unless I formed those partnerships and those friendships and things like that. And so, I mean, when you get into multifamily and just like with any other business and things like that, you really, um, you know, it's really dependent on the, how strong the team is. And so, you know, you're always constantly looking to improve your team and things like that. So that's, that would be my advice to everybody is to really think about the power of partnerships. I love it. I love it. Powell, thank you for joining us today, telling us yeah. about your, your journey and uh, building that, Taylor. that building that passive wealth. If folks want to learn more about you, where can they get in touch with you? Sure. There's probably two best ways to do it. Um, I'll give you my, uh, my email is, is Powell at Multifamily Masters, and that's multifamilymasters with s.com. That's my email. Um, it's probably easiest, honestly, to, to if you're on Facebook, to uh, friend me and just send me a message on, on Facebook. I'm, I'm on there a little bit more than checking emails all the time. I just got bombarded with emails. Um, the other thing is like the group I run is a multifamily masters. Um, check them out online. It's a, it's a meetup group that's um, really, I like to call it the fastest, um, the fastest growing meetup group in the, in the world. But I, I want to say the universe or the, you know, whatever, the galaxy. But um, it's grown extremely fast, right? We have over 60 chapters throughout the whole United States. We have two that are global. And we started with just one here in LA. And now we have so many chapters all over. And so nowadays with COVID-19, we're online. Um, but in, in general, we like to meet in person and have the meetups. And it's, it's a great thing to, to be involved in that as well. So look for me there. I love it. I think in-person meetups are a great way for, for anybody to uh, grow their real estate investments. And, you know, most successful real estate investors out there are, are typically very avid networkers. So uh, mm -hmm. that's fantastic. Well, thanks once, thanks once again for joining us today. I really appreciate sure. it and taking some time. I had a great time. I had a great time, Taylor. Appreciate Me too. it. Thank you. Me too. So everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's a very big help. If you know anyone else who could use a little bit more, bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the fold. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.